Welcome to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast, where we have great conversations with unity-minded Christians. Our goal is to encourage unity of the Spirit within the Stone Campbell Movement and beyond. We believe unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and join us as we seek to fulfill Jesus' prayer that we may all be one. And now... Here are your co-hosts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Our mission is to evoke conversation, to encourage dialogue and discussion, and to broaden relationships within the various streams of the Stone Campbell movement. We are seeking to be part of the answer to the prayer of Jesus in John 17, that his followers would be united. My name is Javier Monzon. I am one of the founding board members of Common Grounds Unity, and I am a professor of biology at Pepperdine University in Malibu, California, where I live with my wife, Patricia, and our our daughter, Sophia Michelle. Our producer asked me to sit in for our regular co-host, Kevin Witham, on this episode. Today, we have Douglas Jacoby returning to us. I have known of Douglas for many years as I read his books and saw him speak in New York City on a few occasions during my college years. But I've had the pleasure of actually meeting and building a relationship with Douglas since I came to Pepperdine in 2015. We also have Otoma Eji joining as co-host. Otoma is the host of the Image Bearers YouTube channel. So please check out his great work and interviews on YouTube. Otoma, welcome back to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to have you back. And we're thrilled to have Douglas Jacoby back with us. Kevin Witham gave Douglas a more extended introduction in our last podcast. Douglas lives in Edinburgh, Scotland with his wife, Vicky. They have three adult children. Douglas has been a Bible teacher and a disciple of Jesus for many years, and he has literally taught all around the world. He's been involved in both local church ministry and also has spent quite a few years as a freelance teacher and writer and consultant. Douglas is an adjunct professor of theology at Lincoln Christian University and professor of theology in the Rocky Mountains School of Theology and Ministry. He also gives tours of the biblical world. In fact, he's getting ready to lead one soon. So if you're interested in doing that, get in touch with Douglas. You can find him at douglasjacoby.com. There you can find out about his various books and resources and his travels. Again, the website is douglasjacoby.com. So Douglas, welcome back to Common Grounds Unity. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Today we are discussing a topic that can be sensitive. Mm. So as we begin, I would like to emphasize that the goal or intent of Common Grounds Unity is not to take a position or stance in regards to doctrine, practice, or ideology. It is not our intent to prescribe the correct answers, Mm. but rather our goal is to inform, to explore, and discuss areas or issues that might threaten unity. And as we do so, hopefully we offer some models for how to effectively navigate difficult discussions by listening to one another and respecting one another, even when we disagree. 
So we hope this podcast will contribute to that goal today. And with that in mind, Otoma, how about kicking us off with the first question today? Uh, it's exciting to be able to be on this uh, program and knowing that we're in different parts of the world, I think that's pretty amazing. Um, so Douglas, you co-authored a book with uh, Paul Copan, hopefully I'm saying that right, yes. titled uh, Genesis, The Ancient Impact and Modern Implications of Genesis 1 through 11. Could you talk to us about how you and Paul came to write, it, write this book and why? And I think you also wrote a couple or a couple other books on Genesis, so maybe you can talk about that also. Yes, I have to include that. Um, on the second part, the second question about Paul, uh, we had met at, uh, I think it was a meeting of Society of Biblical Literature, maybe it was an Evangelical Theological Society, and I'd read a lot of his books. He's, he's very well known as an apologist, not just a professor of philosophy. We ended up having a coffee together, and he said, you know, he said, maybe one day we could do a book together. And I, that definitely st stuck in my head because um, people know him. They don't know me. And he's interesting and he's a very humble person. Well, I, like many Christians, I'm very interested in the beginning and the end. And we have those very controversial chapters. They shouldn't be so controversial, but they are. The first 11 chapters of the Bible and the last 22. And it's amazing how many different views and disagreements there are arising from the early Genesis, you know, the primeval narrative, all the way uh, to the other end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the last 22 chapters. So I did write a book. Uh, I think it had a lot of good things in it. That was in the 90s, in the early 2000s, I revised it. But I came to a conviction more and more that my approach was wrong. Well, I mean, the name of the previous book was Genesis uh, Science and History. Mm -hmm. I wanted to demonstrate uh, how much history and science you can find in Genesis, an approach which I now think is misguided. Uh, I think that would, you know, it would be like reading a, a book on biology or genetics because you believe this will help you as a, as a parent or as a, as a spouse. It's kind of a category error or using a chemistry book to figure out, um, you know, what should I cook tonight in the kitchen? Uh, you know, use a cookbook for that. So I think there's a category error. My view now is that uh, Genesis is not about science. And I think people would have been quite perplexed uh, 3,000 years ago or so if you told them it was. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I had to do is I bought up the last, well, almost 500 copies of my Genesis book. Uh, most of them just went to recycling. Uh, I, I think the approach was wrong. And what, what we want to do with any book of the Bible, I'm sure you agree with this, is we want to understand how it was received, how it struck the original readers or hearers. What did it mean to them? Not how does it address our 21st century questions. Right. And so I, I thought that's the kind of book we need. And Paul and I, we're on the same page. We, I mean, we, we are aligned on virtually everything anyway. And he was happy to join. And I really appreciate him a lot. So... Anyway, that's how it came to be, and that was a, that came out a couple of years ago. So just to just to cover that just a little bit, so you say the emphasis is not um, that Genesis one one through eleven is you know the science aspect. So how is it? How oh, have you? No, it's a great question. Raised it now, then how, how do you how do you see it? I think it's a commentary on the background belief, the things that people believed in that part of the world. Now, okay. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna just gonna bookmark that for just a second. You mentioned before that this can be a sensitive issue. Sometimes the interpretation of Genesis or Revelation could be a divisive issue. I mean, the Restoration Movement has splits over the Book of Revelation over the issues of premillennialism. Um, but I know it's tense. Uh, it's tense not just in the Restoration Movement, but even in the United States, where the majority of people disagree with the conclusions of the majority of scientists. What I'm saying is that the events recounted in Genesis 1 to 11, so it's the creation of the cosmos, creation of humans, uh, the quest for immortality, uh, kind of a rivalry with the gods, the, uh, the flood, uh, the repopulation of the earth, uh, uh, the tower. Uh, these are all very familiar motifs in the world in which Genesis was written. Now, of course, it's written for God's people. Uh, Genesis was, God's people ended up being in a lot of different countries, a lot of different places because they weren't obedient and they were exiled. Mm -hmm. But the world of Genesis 1, if you want to see what the world of Genesis is, you look at the table of nations in Genesis 10. And you say, oh, okay, it's mainly the Eastern Mediterranean. That is that part of Europe, Asia, and Africa. That's pretty much the world of Genesis. Uh, and not only that, the, the world as people understood it was clearly flat. It's a flat earth covered with a solid firmament with an ocean above the firmament, but which could be let down through the, the floodgates of heaven. There's also an ocean underneath the earth. Uh, the, the way that the ancient Hebrews looked to the world was the same basic view that the Canaanites had, the Egyptians, the Babylonians. And we know this because the descriptions we see in Genesis, Genesis, for example, animals uh, emerging from the, from the ground, uh, full grown, um, uh, just a lot of things we may miss completely. But this is the way people looked at it back then. So this means first that the Lord was not trying to correct the people's geology or cosmology. The point of Genesis is not to tell you, oh, it's actually not thousands of years old, it's billions. The purpose was not to tell them the actual shape of the earth or how quickly it's, uh, our solar system is moving through the universe. That, that's not sure. the agenda. We need to look at the ancient questions. The ancient questions are about who God is, which one we should worship, what he expects of us, how we relate to each other, how can we succeed. Questions like that, which aren't that different today. All right. Now, when I say it's a kind of commentary on the background narrative, here's what I mean. Apart from Judaism, I know of no other ancient religion that was truly monotheistic. So for Genesis to tell us there's only one God, that's amazing itself. That God intends good for us and wants a relationship. He didn't create humans to be slaves as we see in a number of the other accounts. When I say the other accounts, I'm referring to the Hittites, the Egyptians, the Sumerians, the Babylonians, and so forth. No, we're created to rule with him. Uh, unlike other religions, Judaism has no statue of the God. There's no idol. The image of the God, that's men and women. We are God's image. We represent him. People see him through us. This is a radical thought. The flood was sent not because the gods' sleep was being disturbed, like, like in the pagan accounts. And so they decided to drown those humans, those dirty humans. In Genesis, there's a moral cause. The problem was violence. The earth was becoming increasingly violent. 
and God starts over. So it's not arbitrary. It's not because he couldn't sleep. And you know, we share all about this, especially in the first four chapters of our book. In the, in the uh, flood narrative uh, of the pagans, the flood is rising so high that the gods have almost no place to go. They're afraid they'll be crushed and drowned underneath the firmament. It's like, it's like they're in a room that's being flooded and the water le- levels come and they're crying out. You know, th- you know they're, they're really not worth worshiping these gods. We see a God who's virtuous, who's loving, who wants a relationship with us. And I could go on all the way to the tower itself, which uh, towers of Babel, like the great ziggurat of Ur. Ziggurat is a stepped pyramid with a temple on the top. And this is where the gods would meet uh, the priests. And it was a control thing, a political thing and a religious thing. But there were dozens of ziggurats. And the Tower of Babel is it's a very thin illusion. Uh, you can tell it's referring to Babel, as in Babylon, uh, which is where most scholars think that the final version of Genesis um, came out. And if this is true, this is a critique of the beliefs in that part of the world, showing them that they're wrong. And the Genesis version takes those stories and rewrites them. Mm. It strips out the mythology. It corrects the theology, so it's the right God and the right character of God. Uh, it, it takes away uh, the the things that are, are not credible, the things that are are nuts. And uh, anyway, it's the rewriting. And so we have a, a, a kind of an anecdote early in the book, the story of Goldilocks and the Four Bears, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. Mm-hmm. And because you're familiar with it, if someone tried to tell you the story about the Four Bears, you would probably correct them. You'd say, it's the Three Bears, Douglas. Exactly. Because you know the story. You know the story. When people read Genesis today without knowing the story, the background, what the Babylonians, the Egyptians, and the Canaanites were familiar with, without knowing that, uh, they're likely not only to read it incorrectly, but to ask the wrong questions, to ask questions Genesis was never intended to answer, like how old is the human race, or when was the world created, or what was the extent of the flood? Uh, these are not concerns. Uh, they may be our concerns, but it's the ancient concerns, the ancient questions that we need to focus on. If we'll do that, then we'll see Genesis applying to our lives very directly every day instead of just a curious part of the Bible, like the other curious part, the book of Revelation. Thank you. Now you don't need to read the book because I talk so fast and sh- share so <laughs> many ideas. No, but we, no, I, think I the got book some is, notes. Uh, I want to go back and read because I think you mentioned image bearers in there. So I'm interested you know, in that. And I think even just, it seems like definitely that's the theology, you know, that's covered. But I think even just, uh, I know on the Bayman podcast, they talk about story. So it seems like uh, you've kind of, I don't want to necessarily superimpose that onto what you're stating, but it wouldn't be far wrong if you did story rather than, rather than the science of it. That's really more the issue, I think. Yeah. Right. I mean, in the, you've got a garden, you've got a, a garden with a human whose name is Adam from Adama. So it's like Adama is earth or dust. So it's like dusty or earthling. Uh, it's just a generic name. Uh, and then his wife is Hawa, living. Right? Everyone seems to have symbolic names, uh, for, including Chain, Cain, and Hebel, Hebel uh, uh, Abel. Uh, you've got a talking snake. You've got all kinds of things. First time I read Genesis, I was nine years old. And I actually made it up to chapter nine, but I didn't have the question, what a talking snake or, uh, are these real people? That's not the question. 
the question is, what does this mean to me? And I felt uncomfortable, even as a nine-year-old. Like, wow, that's me being disobedient. That's me hitting my brother. Mm. That's, you know, children can appreciate that more. But this idea that, no, it has to be uh, fully scientific by our modern criteria. It's a nice thought. But your modern criteria would be out of date in another hundred years. They'd be laughing at people in the early 21st century for some of their beliefs. Genesis isn't written that way. The Lord comes down to our level. These things that we get fastened, uh, we, fa- we get fascinated with, are just incidental. The important things are the relational things: our relationship to God, His to, to us, our relationships with each other. Just like those key questions: Where are you in chapter three and chapter four? Where is your brother? It's these kinds of questions. Uh, so, boy, I've, I have so much to share about this. I wish I had had this perspective. Um, 25 years ago when I was first writing on Genesis, uh, but we reserve the right to change our mind, as I think you said before, Odoma. Yeah, thank you. So for those listening who don't have that perspective, for those who are listening and saying to themselves, I believe that what we have in Genesis is an account of how we were created in God's image and how it all played out, exactly or literally. Right. How do you engage those conversations without it leading to a rift? Right. Because for many, that gets at the integrity of the text. No, no. A lot of people say if you don't take Genesis 1 literally, then you're a false Christian. And I used to teach that myself in my first few years as a Christian. To me, this to me, this was a salvation issue. You would agree with my understanding of human origins and evolution, my understanding of the age of the earth. And if you didn't, then clearly, you know, you're a false teacher. So I try to emphasize, listen, we may have different views on this. This is not a matter of fellowship. There are many things in the Bible that, thank the Lord, we can have different differences on. We can still be united as brothers and sisters. So I think making it very clear because uh, things have been polarized, especially in the United States. So you have the you have the, the godless liberals on one side who take Genesis symbolically, and then you've got the faithful conservative fundamentalists on the other side who try to take it literally. And it's quite difficult to take it literally. And so after emphasizing it's not a matter of salvation, I would point out just a few things. Maybe, for example, how could the sun and the moon be revealed on day four? Uh, you know, since you know you have light in the very beginning, how could there be anything without the sun and the moon? Okay. Or, or how about when it speaks of uh, the earth producing not only plants, but also animals? And again, we, we, we miss that. But I ask people, how do you take that? How do you take the firmament? You know, it talks about the waters above the earth. What's that referring to? You have um, old earth creationist, you know, I, um, ID, um, yeah, the ID theologians will, will say that, well, that's, that's just water vapor up there. But that doesn't really work when you read Genesis as it is written. Uh, so I, I would pull out a, a couple of those things. And um, let, let me just give an example here. Uh, when God uh, in, uh, let the earth, this is Genesis 1:24, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. And it was so. Okay, we understand if it says that about the plants but let the earth bring forth living creatures. Do we, now back then they believed that uh, creatures were, they just came right out of the earth. 
I don't think anyone believes that today. And I've never heard a preacher address that passage. Uh, so that, that's quite difficult. Or we could look at the different accounts, clearly with very different purposes, the creation account of 1-1 to 2-4 and the other account from 2-4 to 2-25. So there, there's some questions we can ask. Or these rivers now, Tigris and Euphrates, that's like Iraq. You know, the, we, we know where those rivers are. What about the Gihon? Isn't that the spring that goes through Jerusalem? And, and But how could it flow around the whole land of Cush? Is that Ethiopia or Yemen? And someone might say, well, the world was different back then. Yeah, but if it's only a few thousand years, it would be actually almost identical. So I would get into the text, but most people don't have that interest. And if their mind's already made up, then it's really not worthwhile uh, doing that. In our book, we don't attack the uh, the more fundamentalist understanding of Genesis. Not at all. We're tr simply trying to show how it would have been heard originally. So that I, after saying it's not a matter of salvation and maybe pointing out a few verses, I might say, listen, uh, if you had the book, would you read it? Would you be willing to listen to a different perspective? And if someone says yes, well, that's great. But again, um, it, it's not a matter of salvation. So it seems like uh, definitely, you know, right now there are many Christians who feel like you know, science is basically attacking Christianity or attacking the Bible. Um, and I know obviously your book is not necessarily a, a, a book about science, as you right. noted earlier. But uh, I know you definitely have knowledge in this space, some insights. You know, what, what would you perhaps share with Christians who feel like, you know, science is, a, is attacking their faith? What would you maybe share with them? Well, I would say that um, most scientists are, are not in that mode. Just the fact that a well-known atheist like Richard Dawkins of Oxford University, who's very aggressive, um, because he's prominent, people could think, oh, he represents science. That's really not true. The surveys show that most scientists believe in God. Most scientists in the world believe in a spiritual world. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, let's not, it's easy to you know, caricature scientists, but that's really not right. Second, most scientists, they're not really focusing on cosmology, you know, how the earth came to be. If they are, you know, Big Bang cosmologists, well, that Big Bang points very nicely towards God. But most scientists are so specialized in their one area uh, that uh, they don't really have an issue until Christians make it an issue. There's a paradigm that I, I like to teach. It's the paradigm of the two books, which Augustine spoke of around the year 400. Bacon spoke of that maybe 1,200 years later. But the world, nature, is God's book of works. Mm -hmm. Scripture is his book of words. They aren't in contradiction to each other. The book of work, words is scripture. The book of works, what he's done, that's nature. And that distinction, that is supported by Psalm 19. And Romans 1 and Psalm 104, but look at Psalm 19. The Bible says we can learn something about God by looking at the world, looking at nature. And so that's a source of knowledge. And that should inform us as we read different parts of the Bible, trying to decide, okay, is this straightforward description or is it poetry? Is it a parable or is it apocalyptic? Is it just a general truth like a proverb or a hard and fast one like a law or, or is it a primeval narrative? Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think those are important things to take into account. Okay, thank you. So, Douglas. Can you share some thoughts on navigating the tension? Because I know this discussion can create tension. How do we keep these conversations from becoming emotionally charged? 
Well, again, expressing fellowship, whether we agree with each other or not, we're, we're brothers, that's important. Um, I think having the wisdom when to enter into a deeper conversation, there's a world of difference between someone who's who considers him or herself an expert and someone who's actually attended uh, scientific conferences, who attends theological conferences, who studies. Uh, a, one question I ask, and I, this can help to diffuse a little bit, is, okay, so that's your position. What do you think are the strongest points made by those on the other side? Mm. Now, if someone says, well, there aren't any, then I know this is not someone I should continue a conversation with. Uh, it's very hard for some, for any side to be wrong on everything. Uh, so if someone's willing to engage, they're willing to listen to more than one voice. But to enter into conversation with someone who's a bigot will only make things worse. Proverbs says that person will rant and rave. Maybe the bystanders will learn something, but you'll have no success of, of bringing any good out of that interaction. Paul says, gives a similar advice. Uh, it's a little different, but it's similar. I'm thinking of 2 Timothy 2, 14 to 26. Uh, what else? You know, navigating the tension. Sometimes I'm saying we just need to avoid this topic. and But certainly admit that, yes, there are different views on this, uh, but that's okay. I mean, the, you know, the church, the early church believed the earth was flat. Now, sometime around the seventh century, that changed. But they still believed that the, uh, the sun went around the earth. But that changed sometime in the uh, 16th and 17th century. So we're in one of those times right now where there are all kinds of new discoveries in outer space and inner space, in the depths of the seas. And this should evoke wonder and worship and great humility. Mm -hmm. Well, there seems to be the key word that on both sides of any question, we approach things with a great deal of humility because none of us have all the answers on each of these questions, but we can listen in and we can learn and we don't necessarily have to adopt another person's position. No. There's freedom of thought. And the question we ask in reading early Genesis, as in reading any book of the Bible, is what is God? What is God's word here saying to me? And I don't mean in some subjective sense, but what is the message that's in the scripture? And if you're going to say the sun rises and the sun sets, because Ecclesiastes 1 says so, so that is the message, then I say you're confusing what's incidental with what is crucial, what is the point that's being made and what's just the dressing. God, the incarnation is a great model to think of. Jesus comes to our level, becomes a human who has to work, he tires, he sleeps, uh, he has an excretory system. He's, I mean, he's, he's one of us. He comes to our level in his teaching, um, in the incarnation itself. And the Bible is that kind of a book. It's written at a level we can understand. It comes down and doesn't try to critique all of our misconceptions unless a misconception is hurting other people. You know, Jesus crit critiques the Pharisees for sure. But it was not his agenda to tell people, you know, guys, actually, <laughs> the earth goes around the sun. How would that possibly help people? I don't think it would. It would, it would just confuse. And so his model of uh, talking about productive topics, things that can help people, is in line with the incarnation. And the incarnation is a model for the kind of writing we find, not only in early Genesis, but a number of stories and parables throughout the Bible. 
this is blow away. I tell you, I think uh, what you're sharing is just amazing. I think I definitely want to read the book because, um, you know, what you've learned, as you said, over the last 25 years, I think uh, is, is going to be amazing just to see how you are now looking at the scriptures. Um, and I think they re they even perhaps show us how we can navigate other scriptures, not just Genesis 1 through 11, and also dialogue with others about these important matters. That's right. So real quick, so as far as, uh, you know, the youth, so we have obviously a number of youth in our churches, and, you know, they're studying uh, some great things, including science and so forth in the, in the universities. And when they then look at the scripture and some of the traditional approaches you know, with science, they definitely start to struggle. Um, yeah. So I guess the question I have for you is a two-part two part question, which is what are some of the challenges this brings to congregational, um, I guess, intergenerational unity, if you mm -hmm. can see that as an issue? And then secondly, um, I think you addressed this a little bit, maybe, but maybe you can expound upon it. How do we remain true to the Bible, as in God and his word, and also help young people stay faithful? Right. These are superb questions. Um, it certainly does bring challenges to inter intergenerational unity, and that's nothing new. I would say younger people, be patient with the older people. Uh, one day you'll be an older people, and someone will be thinking, <laughs> why don't you, why aren't you more open-minded? Why don't you change? And you say, no, no, that'll never happen to me, which you know in your heart there's a good chance it will because we're talking about the human race and these are common patterns. So patience and respect. And again, sometimes get into the discussion. Other times, just leave it alone. It's it's really not worth getting into. Um, uh, certainly, um, we, want, we want scientists to come to Christ. And I think if we're in a position of respect and honor, we're teaching or preaching in a church or a class, we need to be very careful what we say. Uh, because I, my, if many scientists are quite scandalized by conservative Christianity, I think it's because they're pushed away by Christians saying dumb things. Mm -hmm. Christians who may, maybe don't know any science except for high school science, and they're trying to correct someone who's you know, been working in the field for 30 or 40 years. So that, that can be helpful. Um, remaining true to the Bible and helping young people stay faithful, there are a lot of resources that can help with this. Um, certainly, I think for people of influence, the more we teach, the larger the audience we have, the more important us, the more important it is for us to know what we're talking about. Right. Uh, and so I'll ask when I meet someone who's opinionated, I say, "Well, do you read? Do you subscribe to scientific journals? Do you read science books? You don't. Okay. Do you attend scientific conferences? No. Do you know any scientists? Well, my brother-in-law is an engineer. No, no. I mean, like, say, a biologist or a physicist." No, I don't, I don't think I've ever known one. They're all unbelievers anyway. Um, we need to encourage people to expand their, their reading a little bit. Now, for me, it, theology is definitely number one. History would be two. Science would be a distant third, a few books a year. But usually I attend a scientific conference once a year. That's pretty normal um, because I want to know what the frontiers are. And I, do, I did think of two suggestions when I'm thinking particularly the younger people. And one is... Uh, the American Scientific Affiliation. Now, they have affiliates in other countries. There's one 
here in the UK, it's called Christians in Science, and I'm part of them as well. But I'm also a member of the United States of the American Scientific Affiliation. Uh, it's ASA3.org, ASA3.org. Check them out, get their, uh, their periodical. Uh, this can really help us navigate the issues. And then what the other idea, uh, this again would be a website, uh, BioLogos. And this you will find, um, it's just, it's fascinating. The, the, the leader and founder of it is Francis Collins. And he was the one okay. head yeah. of the National Institutes of Health who headed up the Human Genome Project, more than a, a decade, more than a billion dollars to sequence the human uh, genome, which now your genome can be sequenced in a matter of days and only costs about $1,000. But that's BioLogos, B-I-O, like life, Bios, B-I-O, Logos, like in the beginning was the Logos, B-I-O-L-O-G-O-S.org. Uh, lots of material. They've got podcasts. They have um, some great That's short awesome. videos. Uh, that could be helpful. Does that answer the, the question uh, sufficiently, Otoma? Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely getting more resources. I think you mentioned before humility and listening. Um and, uh, you know, helping young people to know that, hey, they're going to be old peoples one day, you know. Yeah. Prayerfully, that'll help them to be a little bit humble. Right. Uh, so I think also part of this conversation is that if there's going to be unity, then we need to treat one another with respect in both directions. The young should be careful about their attitudes toward those who are older. And likewise, those who are older should be careful about attitudes toward those who are younger. Yes. It's about humility in both directions. Yeah. And about mutual respect to listen to one another. Otherwise, we're going to continue to have intergenerational rifts. There are important thoughts here for all people across every generation. Big thing is to not shut, to not shut anyone out, but open the door and have those conversations, much like what Common Ground, Ground Unity does. Hmm. Yes. Douglas, it has been great to have you with us. We appreciate your thoughts and your insights into this discussion. We hope this podcast stimulates good and healthy conversations. The book again is Origins, The Ancient Impact and Modern Implications of Genesis 1 to 11. Douglas's website is douglasjacobi.com. Douglas, we always end our interviews with one very pertinent question. Because we're about conversation and dialogue within the streams of this fellowship and with other Christians. And we like to say that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So if we were to sit down with you and have a cup of coffee to explore these questions in greater detail, much more than we can do in 30 minutes, how do you take your coffee? Um, I take it with a little bit of milk. No sugar. We, we, we do have an espresso machine in our house we have for probably the last 10 years, and we do enjoy a good cup of coffee every day. Well, Edinburgh is a beautiful place to do that. Again, thank you for being with us. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we close out? Well, of course, again, thanks for thanks for the invitation. And uh, be sensitive. If, if you're hearing this and this this makes you want to talk with someone about something you heard in this in this podcast. Be sensitive. Uh, for some people, it may be an excellent discussion. For others, yeah, it, it will not be fruitful. It will not be productive. 
So we, it's an important caution we're given. For example, Paul gives this to the Corinthians and the Romans, not to let our knowledge be something that hurts other people. These are not crucial matters. The interpretation of Genesis or Revelation um, is not going to determine, uh, determine what happens to you at Judgment Day. Right. So be patient. Read the Bible many times through. Supplement it with other sources. Uh, don't be more confident than is warranted by the evidence, than by what you've studied. If you've just studied a little bit, only read a handful of books on a topic, you are not an expert. Uh, you should be very careful to listen to others. Um, and on the other hand, be humble, be respectful. These are all God's children. Thank you. And Otoma, good to have you with us today. Thank you. And I hope you'll join us again in the future. Maybe we can explore what you're doing with image bearers on a future podcast. So everybody, thanks for listening to our podcast. Join us next time for another Common Grounds Unity podcast, where we will have more discussions with interesting people within our movement. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. There are plenty of resources and you can subscribe to the weekly email articles, join the Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. We've also provided a link in the show notes for comments. You can ask questions or suggest topics and guests. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do that too through the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.